はい Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast on this episode. We talked to Murata Tesh about NHL free agency that opens on Wednesday. What could the Winnipeg Jets be doing? Probably not much, but anyway, we'll talk about that. Plus, Kelly Moore's bomber player profile of Mike Benson coming up on the podcast. As we get set for tomorrow and the start of NHL free agency, and a man we trust for his insight. A lot on this station is Murat Atesh of The Athletic. Murat, how you doing tonight on Free Agency Eve? <laughs> yeah, well said. Free Agency Eve, Christian. Uh, you know, I, I do feel this sort of calm before the storm, even though, you know, there has been some developments and some news. For example, you know, Eric Comrie loves Winnipeg. He would love to be back. He's a free agent. He has said that, or his agents have said that he, he'll take calls tomorrow. And just to see what, what kind of opportunity for increased time he can get. We know in Winnipeg there's persistent rumors of the p- possibility of a Blake Wheeler move. Pierre-Luc Dubois to Montreal rumors as well. But I don't think that's necessarily about to happen. There's a lot going on. And free agency is kind of this pinch point where teams really need to know what, its salary cap are gonna, what their salary cap is going to be. Who, who their depth chart is, all of this sort of stuff. So this is an activity period, whether teams are signing, making trades, or uh, in Winnipeg's case, trying to build for next season. Well, across the league, the big names on the market are Johnny Gaudreau, Nazem Kadri, Evgeny Malkin. Uh, those players who aren't going to be coming to Winnipeg. The Jets don't have the room and probably aren't the, aren't the landing spot for those. I don't think I'm going on a big limb saying that. But in terms of what the Jets can do tomorrow... What are you looking for in terms of what they're going to be able to bring in? Well, I think Winnipeg's first priority is going to be about assessing where its core is at and who's going to be here contributing in a meaningful way next year. And it's not that Pierre-Luc Dubois is an restricted free agent. He's not. He's a restricted free agent who will perhaps have a short-term deal, but there's no immediate deadline on that. Uh, Blake Wheeler, Mark Scheifele under contract for two more years each. So these aren't emergency signings if you're the Winnipeg Jets. I, I think the most prominent free agent other than Eric Comrie is Paul Stastny, who is unlikely to return. I don't think that these are emergency free agents for Winnipeg. But I do think moves that involve perhaps Blake Wheeler, um, perhaps a defenseman from Winnipeg's crowded blue line core, could help Winnipeg establish what its cap situation is going to be heading into next season. And once you do that, you can talk about the additions. Because there's a crazy world, Christian, and I don't think that we're, we're headed towards it. But there's a crazy world if Wheeler's contract is mostly gone, say they've retained part of it. If a veteran defenseman is moved, Winnipeg does look at a lot of room for additions. And, you know, I, I've heard some strange suggestions all the way from uh, not necessarily the guys you mentioned, but including Jonathan Taves as Chicago continues its fire sale. There's a lot going on in the league right now. Um, and I think step one for Winnipeg is simply to get its cap situation in order by, by setting its core for next season. Now, on the Pierre-Luc Dubois front, I shared earlier in the show the, the tweet today from Montreal's Martin Leclerc and you saying that Chevy has two years of control and a long history of patience. I don't think the Jets should be in a rush to trade Pierre-Luc Dubois. What's your <laughs> sense? Yeah, I don't think they should be either, uh, no matter what his long-term ambitions are. And I think 
that we're at the point where we understand. And, you know, I, I sincerely believe he has not been shy. And I've written to this effect that at some point in his life, he'd like to play in Montreal. Uh, he, at some point in his life, he, life, he'd like to test on restricted free agency. I don't think we're heading to a long-term deal here. But he's within team control for two years. And we've seen what Winnipeg does in those situations. Kevin Sheveldayoff got a good return for Jacob Truba, got a good return for Andrew Kopp. We can go all the way back to Evander Kane, um, you know, netting a, a large package surrounding Tyler Myers from Buffalo once upon a time. Sheveldayoff doesn't make those moves until he needs to. And even if he does quote-unquote need to, which he doesn't, um, the only impetus to trade to Montreal right now, which is the rumor, is if they're able to outbid every other team. Because, you know, every team has to deal with the fact that centers like Dubois are rare. Every team has to deal with the fact that likely he'll be testing unrestricted free agency in two years, unless you're Montreal, who I believe he wants to sign with eventually. But Winnipeg doesn't owe Dubois a safe passage like that. If Columbus offers the best deal, if New York offers the best deal, whatever it is, um, you know, Sheveldayoff will, will wait and, and assess for that. So I think we're looking at a season of Pierre-Luc Dubois aiming to repeat what he just did, and, and that's a major step forward in becoming an important piece of a hockey club. So we expect Dubois to re-sign here in Winnipeg. He's a restricted free agent. Uh, Jansen Harkins, Mason Appleton, also RFAs. Evgeny Sveshnikov, the one name of note that was not tendered a qualifying offer yesterday. So he will become an unrestricted free agent tomorrow. Did that surprise you? Um, you know, interestingly enough, just a little bit before the qualifying offer deadline, um, I heard but couldn't confirm that there had been a player that sort of asked not to be qualified. And then when Evgeny Svechnikov was not qualified, now he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, he certainly wasn't an expensive player. This isn't one of those moves where a qualifying offer is so expensive that a team simply won't offer it and then they'll re-sign for less. We saw that with Joe Morrow a couple of years back. Um, all to say... I'm not sure 100% if Sashnikov absolutely wanted out of Winnipeg or this is that situation. Um, but that is one of the theories that I've heard for, uh, for why he wasn't brought back. Uh, certainly he was on the second line for a little while. He was on the fourth line for a little while. It was up and down. I don't think he loved that roller coaster ride. And from Winnipeg's perspective, I don't think he was ever so vital to the success of Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois um, that they absolutely had to make that fit. So he's a quality player. And if you look around the league, every team or every other team seems to have that kind of NHL-level uh, player that they didn't qualify this year. That, that market is going to be pretty interesting this year, especially. Yeah, a lot of players didn't get qualified. And my sense on, on his role with the team, he got jostled all over the lineup this year. Various coaches of, of not really finding a fit for him. But I, I my sense is that they're going to try to fill whatever role his was, whether it's third or fourth line with a player from within the organization, whether it be a, a Christian Reichel or that sort? Well, I mean, Christian Reichel is a player who uh, increased his stature within the team by tremendous degree. I still don't necessarily see him being, you know, a second, third line winger who is a plus at that position for, for years to come. But he cemented himself as a potential NHL player. I think Winnipeg, if they are indeed trying to keep the core together as much as possible, veteran coach Rick Bonus as well, um, I think that there's a, a lot of pressure on this team to put a playoff-worthy team together. I'm not sure that that's good enough for them, so I'm wondering about veterans across the league um, to take spots like that. And if it's from within the organization, um, could Jansen Harkins become that third-line left wing with Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton, because we know Rick Bonus likes a checking line. Could that be Morgan Barron? Could it be David Gustafson? They need somebody. And 
if it's not going to be one of those, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, there's a veteran for that role available in free agency in a week or two's time when things kind of calm down. Any names out there look like a player that could fit in here that's on going to be on the market? Well, for me, you know, I look at last year's roster, and if you look at Lowry and Appleton as two-thirds of your checking line, and you look at Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois as two-thirds of a scoring line, and you have Mark Shifley and you have Nikolai Ehlers, and you have Blake Wheeler, you have most of a top six built. But you do need another top six right wing. Um, you probably need somebody who isn't necessarily an elite goal scorer or an elite finisher, though you'd like those sorts of things. You really want somebody who can just win their battles, forecheck hard, be tough to play against, all those cliches. And so for that reason, uh, I'm considering Yessi Puyuyarvi as a possible trade target from the Edmonton Oilers. His impact on possession, tremendous. His finishing, hit and miss. And I think that he frustrated Connor McDavid and others in Edmonton by creating so many chances, but only finishing some of them. His uh, point totals weren't so high in Winnipeg though. I think that that, um, that role of aggressive four checker who wins the battles, make sure that the puck is in the offensive zone. I think the Jets are so desperate for that right now, um, especially on the right side. That's the type of player that you might hope becomes kind of a Valerie Nishushkin light uh, as the years go by. And Nishushkin himself is unbelievably expensive all of a sudden in Colorado. That's true. But in Dallas, he they bought him out. It just it wasn't working there. In Dallas, you know, there was marveled at a lot in the playoffs. He had a season that he didn't score or have a penalty. And now he's, you know, an elite player that helped the team win a Stanley Cup. And perhaps a change of scenery helps for Yessi Pugliarvi. That would be a trade, though, right? That would absolutely be a trade. He's not a free agent. He's somebody who I think Edmonton is considering shopping or is shopping at this stage. Um, and Christian, for me, it's an interesting thing about, you know, what, what players value and what, what people value. Because even in Dallas, Nishushkin was creating a fair bit of scoring chances and keeping the puck in the right area. But if people aren't finishing or if there's some really memorable moments when somebody has a great scoring chance and they don't finish, I think it's easy for extremely competitive athletes, coaches, general managers to write this person off and not necessarily give them full credit for all that puck possession. I think that somebody who excels in a puck possession sort of way would be a great fit, um, great fit in Winnipeg. And, you know, on that free agent market, um, I, I don't think they're in on the Nazem Kadri's or Vigeny Malkins of the world, but I think that it's that sort of two-way capable 200-foot player who doesn't have to come with a tremendous amount of offense. Call him Paul Stastny, although he's not going to be re-signing in Winnipeg. I think that Winnipeg needs most in, in their top six right-wing spot. I want to go back to the trade deadline for just a second, and hindsight is obviously 2020, crystal clear. Andrew Kopp netted them a pretty solid return. Morgan Barron, Brad Lambert, uh, Elias Salamonson, the two picks there. But they kind of, in my view, split the middle at the trade deadline where they they trade Kopp, but they trade for Zach Sanford. They keep Paul Stasny. They don't trade anyone from the blue line. I thought it was clear the Jets weren't going to make the playoffs at the trade deadline. Do we feel like maybe they should have Try to get more at the deadline, considering they're going to, you know, lose Stasny more than likely, and they're still going to have to trade a blue liner. It looks like. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with that, and I wrote to that effect at the time as well. That absolutely, the Winnipeg Jets did well with that Andrew Kopp return, especially for a pending free agent who was not going to be resigning in Winnipeg. Um, at the time, that was a good deal. At the time, um, it seemed to signal 
that Winnipeg was considering that it would not be necessarily making the playoffs. But then, like you say, they keep players that they didn't need to keep, like a Paul Stastny, for example. And I think that that might speak to Paul Stastny's importance in that dressing room, his bond with Blake Wheeler, a little bit of that, uh, of a prayer mentality that, hey, maybe we absolutely must trade caught, but we might be able to sneak into the playoffs. Whatever the reason was, I'm with you on the side that, you know what, they had an opportunity to re- regain assets for players, and not just Paul Stastny, a pending unrestricted free agent, but I, I'm – I know that there are teams that were calling about Brendan Dillon in, in an attempt to stock up for the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado was one of those teams as well before they picked up Josh Matson and went on that run. Boston is rumored to be interested. You know, I've um, there are players on the Winnipeg Jets that whether it's a Dillon type, um, whether it's Paul Stastny, whether it's Andrew Kopp, who they did get good assets back for, that Winnipeg should have been shopping based on what they were able to do with Andrew Kopp. Well, I haven't had uh, you on in a couple of weeks, uh, actually, since they hired a coach. So I just want to get your thoughts on uh, how you're feeling about the Rick Bonus hiring now after a few weeks. Yeah, it's a, it's uh, it's funny how much people's first impressions were. Hey, is not very trot. I, I think that that was most people's first first wave. Um, but Rick Bonus despite being 67 years old, having been behind the bench, whether as an assistant or head coach, more times than anybody else in the National Hockey League, is not that unmodern of a coach. He has progressive ideas in certain situations. Um, in Dallas, he was part of the, the leadership group that transformed Dallas away from its veterans, away from tra- depending too much on Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn, and brought Jason Robertson into the fold, uh, promoted Rope Hints, and certainly Joe Pavelski, a veteran player, was an important free agent addition, or addition, pardon me, for, for that team. Um, but he was part of that. He also trusted an extremely young defenseman, Mira Heiskanen, to play some massive minutes for that blue line. Um, from the way he, he runs his bench, ice time-wise, you didn't see any forward co- collecting above 20 minutes on a consistent basis. So the Mark Shifley's, Kyle Connors, and Blake Wheelers of the world from a couple of years ago, that would always seem to get exhausted at the inopportune time. I don't think we're necessarily going to see that. Similarly, at the fourth line level, all of those players got at least 10 minutes by the end of the night. So all of the depth players in Winnipeg who may not have felt like they were part of something for the last several years, and whether that's, you know, Andrew Kopp a few years ago when he was fourth-line center, Matthew Perot at times, Jack Rosovic at times, maybe a Jansen Harkins type last year. You know, there are guys who notoriously don't get minutes despite, uh, despite a certain amount of quality. And I think just that little boost above 10 per night instead of 7 or 8 may generate more buy-in as well. Um, the criticism, I would say, in Dallas, bonus trusted Radic Saxa and Luke Lindenig as a two-thirds of a checking line on that third line, night in, night out, no matter what the situation was, and they got shelled, and he kept going back to them. And I know that was a source of criticism in Dallas. In Winnipeg, we have Adam Lowry, who is the quintessential checking line forward. We have Mason Appleton, who has chemistry with him. So it seems as though we'll be looking just like Paul Maurice around a top six, a checking line, and, and then we'll see. But, of course, we haven't seen him deploy a single line rush at this point. We're just going based on the past all of this to say he's a capable coach. Uh, he'll have pros and cons. And it's not as though Winnipeg got some nobody for the job, even though I'm sure a lot of fans were uh, keen on Barry Trotz when the search began. And we don't know what lineup he's going to get to put on the ice, though we might get a little more clarity in the coming days. We'll follow your content, right on The Athletic. Appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this and have fun tomorrow. Right on. Thanks, Christian.
let us learn more now about a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And on Tuesdays in years past, I had a habit of sharing with you the Bomber player profile put together by Kelly Moore that ran during the pregame show of the most recent Bomber game. He puts a lot of effort into these. They're worth sharing again. But for some reason, I hadn't done that this year. Well, I mean, I know the reason. It's because I forgot about them. But, you know, that's on me. It's never too late, though, to admit you've made a mistake. So we rectify that tonight as we learn a lot more about the life and times of long snapper Mike Benson. If there's one job on a football team that very few fans notice until there's a mistake, it has to be long snapping. And it's also the one position on a football team where opportunity is often involved. Mike Benson of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers is a perfect example. And it all began at St. Paul's High School right here in Winnipeg, where he offered to do the job none of his teammates were particularly interested in. You know, I grew up being, you know, a linebacker, fullback, D-end. You know, always excelled at those positions, but, uh, you know, being able to be like a skilled long snapper is, you know, being able to, to be the catalyst of my career, really, and allow me to excel to the next level and then the next level. An injury opened the door for Benson to a four-year-plus stay with the BC Lions after being cut by Edmonton. Opportunity came knocking again in 2019 when Ottawa Red Blacks long snapper Louis-Philippe Barassa was suspended two games for a positive test of a banned substance. And when Chad Rempel and the Bombers couldn't come to terms after the 2019 Grey Cup season, well, that provided the chance for Mike Benson to come home. And there is no doubt that he has roots firmly planted in the peg. My uncle went to St. Paul's, my grandpa went to St. Paul's, my, my great uncle went to St. Paul's, you know, so it was kind of like a family thing to do. But I chose St. Paul's because I wanted to go. You know, I wanted the education. I wanted to go, you know, be able to excel at the sports that I wanted to excel at. The whole family's from Winnipeg. You know, my mom's been a very, very long time kindergarten teacher just down the road on Pemina. My dad's a farmer in LaSalle. My uncle actually owns one of the oldest hardware stores in the city, Corden Hardware. Before my uncle owned it, my grandpa owned it. And before my grandpa owned it, his dad owned it. And I even worked there in high school and even a little bit after high school. So there's like four, four generations of Bensons that has gone through Corden Hardware. And uh, if you ever drive down Corden or you're from Crestonwood or River Heights area, you definitely know that name. That's kind of my family there. And I've got two younger sisters as well. One who just graduated high school. Big congratulations to her. And uh, she got a, an early acceptance scholarship to U of W for education, which is really exciting. So she's following in my mom's footsteps there. And then I've got uh, a middle sister, Kim, who's 20-some years old right now. And she's in childcare, which is incredible. And she's got patience just like my mom does because I don't think... I've got one... 14-month-old boy and two Huskies, and that's enough patience for me. Besides his CFL journey, Mike's football and athletic pursuits have taken him right across this country. I went on a recruit trip to Acadia, and as soon as I pulled into that town, I was sold. The atmosphere and the energy and the views, right? The Bay of Fundy's right there. It's an absolutely gorgeous city. I played in Edmonton. I've been to Toronto. I've been in BC, and I've been in Winnipeg, and their football program is competes for one of the best I've ever seen. How they treat academics before athletics, their strength and speed programming that they have, it's just, it's top notch. Um, and I just, I bought into the program and that's one of the hugest, biggest reasons I'm, I'm here where I am today. But before Mike Benson arrived back in Winnipeg or even began his CFL career in 2012 with Edmonton, in between, 
he tried his hand at a completely different sport. I had the opportunity to uh, to go to one of the Canadian sport performance centers in Halifax when I played in played at Acadia, and I got recruited to uh, try out for bobsleigh. And I uh, actually I tested very well back when I was still a linebacker as well and strong and speedy, still like I am. And then uh, I actually had the opportunity to go for four weeks to Calgary and uh, train with the Olympic team and compete for a spot on the on the Olympic and World Cup teams, which. Uh, I was offered, but it is quite pricey at the time, and opted to go back to school. And uh, I do, I do regret it um, because being able to have a shot at going to the Olympics would have been another amazing dream accomplished. No doubt. But then this would not have happened in October of 2017. It's loose. Vincent's got it. Touchdown, PC. And you know, the long snapper pumped up the biggest play of maybe his life. Absolutely, I get cold shivers still thinking it. Thinking about it, I got goosebumps, but uh, I didn't give up on the play, and there was a fumble forced. I scooped, scored, ran in, and uh, got piled on by 12-odd guys, which was amazing. Yeah. We didn't have the best special teams return game that year. There wasn't a day that uh, didn't go by where I didn't let him know that I was the team's leading special teams touchdown scorer that year. And there probably hasn't been a day go by since last December 12th in Hamilton when Mike Benson experienced the other big thrill of his CFL career. There is no better feeling, and I wouldn't trade my 11 years of playing football for any more Grey Cups than the one that I have, because there's nothing better than being able to win a Grey Cup with the team that you grew up watching and the city that you grew up living in. That was the best experience of my life. And then to be able to have my, my mom and my fiancé and my son there all to be able to be there with me and supporting me and, and seeing them in the crowd. It was, I mean, it's tough to describe, but it was just such a special thing to have them all there, right? That's the first thing that I looked for as soon as we were jumping on the field was, where's the family? Mike Benson may be 35, but this post-workout connoisseur of fruit and spinach smoothies is in tremendous shape. And considering his lifestyle, that is a very good thing. I've been a strength and conditioning coach since uh, 2010. When I finally decided to move back to Winnipeg in winter of 2015, I wanted to, to be able to bring a program to the athletes of the city that, that wasn't available at the time, right? Giving them the, the professional strength and conditioning experience that, you know, the grassroots programs need to help accelerate and get everybody to the next level. So um, I came up with Pro Player U. Um, which is my like athlete performance training company. And, uh, you know, it's been great. I've been able to work with a ton of sports teams. I've worked with club teams, eight, nine, ten-year-olds, a lot of high school athletes, a lot of junior athletes, a lot of university athletes, and even some CFL and NFL guys, which has been an amazing experience so far. And, and you know, working with general population, too, and helping them get all their goals, it's just, it's, it's amazing to, to, to see the delight and the happiness that it brings to everybody, right, to, to watch... To, them, to watch them transform and, and meet all their goals is incredible. So it's, it's worked out really well. You know, it's definitely kept me busy in the off season, but I've actually uh, started a property management business as well. So I've got two businesses going now on the side. Um, so I do renovations, property management, take care of leases, all that kind of stuff. So I'm definitely staying busy. And then, uh, you know, with my son and the two Huskies as well, there's, I guess that's three and a half jobs. So keeping busy and trying to, trying to plan for after football, but I don't plan on retiring anytime soon. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more 
every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all, but